It's the Camp Danny Show. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 7 of the Camp Danny Show. Today's show is the Road to Eden Radio Hour. We've got lots of treats in store for you today. We've got a big interview with Doug Passon, the director of the Road to Eden film. And we have a special guest in studio today. I'm not going to tell you yet, because first we have to check in with the house engineer of the Camp Danny Show, John Paul Farrell. JP, how you doing today? Hey, how's it going? Solid. I'm doing well. Having a good day. It's a bright, sunny, beautiful day in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, it's going to be an excellent Camp Danny show. I feel it in my bones, in my microphones. I can tell you're a little, you got mixed feelings, though. You like being Why? here, but, 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 no offense, you kind of also want to be at this new coffee house you just discovered. I did. Yeah, it's a uh, Sola yeah, Cafe. That's fine. Um, and it's got Primo Coffee. And uh, lounging spaces. It's it, it's really it's what all Starbucks should aspire to be. I, I think. Yeah. I don't have Primo coffee, and I don't have no, fine lounging spots. Give yourself. You've got good coffee. You've made coffee before. I, I like it. Pour over. It's the pour over coffee. Yeah. And the lounging spots at at eighty four seventeen lack. Do you know if it's um, counterculture coffee? Is it fair trade? I have no idea. Don't ask me such things. Sola has fair trade coffee. I know. Of course they do. Every day of my life is trying to catch up to be as cool and as fresh as Sola Cafe. Ole. It used to be a preschool, too. I think. I find that amusing. It wasn't a preschool. It was a bank. No, it used to be a bank. Then they, it was a preschool for a brief moment. And then they ripped everything out. Hopefully, the children were home safe. And then they made it a cafe. Okay. And when this business goes under, I'm going to say that it will be an H&R Block. Your call? Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be a Starbucks. Nice. All right. Well played, sir. You are on top of it today. Um, it's going to be a great show. Episode 7 of the Camp Danny Show. The Road to, Road, Road. Check. Two, three, two, one. The Road to Eden Radio Hour. I came upon a child of God He was walking along the road And I asked him, where are you going? And this he told me Said I'm going on down to Yasger's farm Gonna join in a rock and roll band Gonna camp out on the land And get my soul Stardust, we are golden, and we got to get ourselves back to the garden. Can I walk beside you? I have come here. Of the year, or maybe it's the time of man. 
Camp Danny Show. I'm Dan Nichols. And today we're in the studio with Doug Passan. Doug Passan is the director of the film Road to Eden. And we're dedicating this episode of the Camp Danny Show to the Road to Eden. We're calling it the Road to Eden Radio Hour. Well, glad you could join us on this. We've been talking about doing this, you and I, for months, if not years. And it's fine. It's a fine thing to finally have you on and talk about the film. And I thought we would start from the very beginning and you and I could tell, share with the listeners a little bit about how you and I met and um, how this, this idea of doing this tour and making this film all came into being. Okay. Well, I was loitering behind a dumpster at the 7-Eleven, homeless. You came along <laughs> and offered me <laughs> some cash. Or <laughs> you wanted me to mow your lawn or something. I heard you were really into gardening. I'm That's finally exposed. You tell the truth, and now everybody knows I'm really just a loser. See, okay, so I'll explain in a second. I've known you for more than 25 years, but I've been listening to the Camp Danny show. Oh, thank and you. And so I, I learned something about you that I did not know in all okay. this time. Really? And that is your love for for gardening. I'm, t- I'm telling you. The truth is going to be told if I ever do get a chance to do it for a living. Maybe I just like to dig a trench in my own yard, but digging a trench for you, I maybe wouldn't like so much. But I have to say, I do like working in the yard. Makes me happy. Is this, is this, do you have like a garden or is this just like digging holes and whatnot, like putting up fences and things? I think the technical term for what I do is I piddle around. I piddle. Okay. Does that, do you plant things? I plant things. And they grow sometimes. Do you do plant things that you can actually eat? Yes. Like what? Well, you know, a lot of the herbs, like the dill, you know, and the sage, mm. and the red, red, red vein lettuce, and, um, oh, chervil, which is the French parsley, those kinds of things. But, you know, I, I, I just love working in the yard. I love mowing. I love I love, I like to, it's not very exciting, but it's my truth. 
I love that truth, and I didn't know that. But it's and and one may think this is chitty chat or some sort of digression, but really, if we're going to talk about Sukkot, it's a very relevant subject, right? Well, then, okay, I will. I'm yearning to draw us back into the to the focus here because we're at about six minutes with Camp <laughs> Chitty Chat, and um, that's about five and a half minutes too long. <laughs> JP says we're at four. <laughs> okay. There's two minutes of a. Uh, yeah. All right. Two minutes of just toppage. Oh, oh you asked me a question. Two, was, how, did we, how did we meet? Well, I'll tell you this. I will, I will bring us home. Okay. And then we'll get into there and how it does relate to Road to Eden. I started really loving working in the yard here because I was struggling with our, the grass in our front yard. And so I went to a nursery for help. And they said, it, really, it's about the soil that you're trying to plant your seeds in. And probably you've got soil that's very acidic. You have soil that's just probably all red clay. And what I recommend that you do is get a few yards, few cubic yards of topsoil that we, we can offer you. And you scatter it on top of the yard and, and, over the, and do that once every fall for about five years. And over a course of five years, you're going to build about a one and a half, two inch layer of topsoil that all of the, your grass can root into. And then you're going to be able to have really wonderful results in a beautiful yard the grass will grow because the soil is at the right pH and it's going to offer the right nutrients for the, the seed to grow. So I'm in, I'm now two years into that. I've had two full years of scattering the top soil and, and, and it is working in a big way. And that strikes me, that's our connection into this is that you have to be able to work in a place where the soil is fertile, where you'll be able to get something. And, um, our relationship, yours and mine has been fertile from pretty much the very first day we met. And it started, my memory is, it started around music. Absolutely. Uh, I, you tell the story, I think, better than I do in terms of the first encounter you had with me. It was a musical encounter, albeit a strange one. <laughs> well, you, well, you and I are teenagers and we're thrown together as co-counselors in cabin 15 at Goldman Union Camp. And I don't know from you, you don't know from me. And there we are. It's you and I and Ralph Magrish, and we're counselors in Cabin 15. And I remember bringing my stuff into the back of Cabin 15. My memory is that you had a boombox, and it was slamming. Is it was an American Prayer by the Who? Is that the right? By Jim Morrison. Sorry, Jim. Then the Doors, and it yep. was loud. Was it one of those boomboxes that you hold on your shoulder? Oh yeah. Those oh yeah. Massive Definitely. Because mm -hmm. this nice. was 1987, baby. Yeah. Did it have little EQs on it in the front? Just yeah. Yes. I believe it did. <laughs> I'm sure it did. And it was loud. And I remember the. I walk in. This was my memory. It's, you know, filtered through time. But uh, <laughs> I hear Jim Morrison say, Mother, I want to kill you. I'm like, <laughs> what, what's happening here? This is not the Jewish camp that I thought I was supposed to be going to. What, what is this? That's my first memory of you and music. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how I remember it, too. Okay. And you know what? I don't remember us ever becoming friends. I just remember us being connected. Like, I don't know how, how, you know, we, huh. I don't, I, I don't have any memory of the development of our, of our relationship. My only memory is that we were just there together. So it's very interesting, but we were, and we were instantly connected. My claim to fame, of course, is that I was in, Dan Nichols' first rock and roll band. Well, it certainly wasn't mine. It was, I mean, that that band 
was a hell of a thing, and it was ours. That's one of the reasons I love that that thing so much, that jam so much. It was called the Cold Shower Jam, because the only time we had a chance to play, this was not a gigging band. This was just a band that got together and made some noise together. The only time we had a chance to play was 35, 40 minutes um, right before the Shabbat walk on Friday afternoon. And so we'd run up to the Ulam, which is the all-purpose entertainment building on camp. And we'd get out our instruments and we'd play for 40 minutes. And then we would run to the um, Beit Shemush, the, the, the boys' um, showers, and we'd get a quick shower. And by that time, all the water, all the hot water was gone. So we called the group the Cold Shower Jam. And we'd get a quick shower and then we'd go on our Shabbat walk and get back to work. And maybe we played once for camp or something at the end of a Yom Sport to kill time. That's my memory. Yes, we did a concert, <laughs> and we were we were awful, and they loved us. Okay, what was our kids. playlist? What were our jams? What did we? What did we? What did the cold uh, shower jam jam? I remember the opening song was. Jumping Jack Flash. Jumping Jack Flash. You brought that was your jam. I did a very poor, pathetic Purple Haze that we. You know, I was a Jimi Hendrix wannabe. I had my black strat and uh Black Strat through a a fender I mean a PV bandit? You got it. Okay. Bandit sixty five. My goodness, you have a good memory. And I was rocking a um Ibanez Roadstar two. Creamy. And white. I have I should know what your amp was, but I, I have no recollection. Nor do I. I don't think I had one. I think I, there oh. was a plugging into yours or plugging into some you know, wrecked out piece of camp PA that was on site. That PV is a workhorse, man. Oh, dude, yeah, totally. Um, the 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 most sort of ironic thing about Cold Shower Jam, Dan Nichols was not the singer. He did not open his mouth and sing during that show. That's true. It was Jeff Jen. <laughs> Je no, it was uh, David Wolf, right? I, I think it was both. Jeff, Jeff Jeff was picking up a load when he was playing. <laughs> Picking up a load, but when I say careful, up a load, I mean, careful family he show, was, he was doing double duty on drums and vocals. Uh, very talented young man, and um, David Wolf was one of the singers in the band, is my recollection. I love the way Jeff Derringer drummed. I always, I just, I thought he hit it so hard, and I think it's because Kenny Arnoff was one of his was one of his yes. favorite drummers, and Kenny he, Arnoff is great. Yes, he He's is phenomenal. Yeah. Is he with Mellencamp? Yeah. I don't know yeah. if he is anymore, but he was, he, he okay. was in the day. That's how I know that name. So yeah. we played Jumpin' Jack Flash. I also remember John Cougar Mellencamp's song, Justice and Independence, was like, when that song happened, I was I was home. I was in heaven. I love, love that song. God, it's a good song. Love, love, love that song. All our listeners out there, all 14 of you that are listening to the Camp Danny show, the Road, Road to Eden Radio Hour, go Skype up, I mean, sorry, go Spotify up the... Uh, uh, Justice and Independence song. It's really a hell of a tune. Brilliant. It is brilliant, and it plays with metaphor very nicely. Yeah, one of the best. You don't have any of those old Cold Shower Jam recordings. Oh, I know, in, I do. In the archives. I know, I do. I have shoe boxes, five, probably five or six shoe boxes filled with cassette tapes from all the, you know, our comment, a running commentary for South Pacific. Uh, the camp, the camp uh, show. Anyway, superb, that's that. Superb. Yeah, superb. And cans. Um, so Dan and I had this great connection to music. We both love to play guitar. Yep. And and uh, Dan 
is my hero because he took his dream and his love and he said, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And he's, he's made a life out of music and just an amazing, incredible journey that you've been on. And I don't want to, um, you know, go too deep into that, but I'm completely inspired by you and the way that you live the, your dream and the way that you inspire other people by doing that and by the music that you make. And so Dan Thank has you. been just an incredible friend for all these years. There's been a group of us, a core camp people. That's, that's one of the takeaways from this road to Eden and my life is just camp. I mean, I've, I'm, there's a group of us, five or six or seven of us that are still in touch on a regular basis, 25, 30 years down the road. We've been to each other's weddings. We've been to our kids' bar and bat mitzvahs. We've been out in the world together. We've been on vacations together. Yeah, yeah. So one such vacation was Oregon. It was 2010, I believe, yeah. that we were at our friend Ralph Magrish's house in, in um, Amity, Oregon, up in wine country. And it was very much a camp experience. He lives out in the woods, and we had this big beautiful fire in the backyard and we we're all sitting around the campfire doing the camp thing and uh that's i think that's when you t talked about this idea that you had about going on tour for sukkot for the eight days of sukkot mm -hmm. through the deep deep south to you know sing in each town celebrate in each town tell the story of camp in each town and you said what do you think of that idea and we all thought it was great a great brilliant idea and then you looked at me and you said what do you think about coming along and filming it and my that's, that's my yeah my memory of that as well was uh at that point i had i had gotten buy-in from mark nemick and nathan meckel who play in our band mark is the drummer nathan plays guitar and i had went i went to them first and said i want to do this i know it's dreaming are you in? Would you do it? I would pay you, but would you do it? And they said, yeah, we'll work. We'll do it. So that was, then I had that in my back pocket. And then I, I definitely was seeking affirmation from you guys. And then, um, and to, cause I felt like if it was that crazy, you guys would laugh at me. And then I would know right off the bat that I'm, I'm off the mark, but you didn't laugh. And you had actually everyone around the fire was like it was you it was mark lerner it was ralph magrish it was aaron Shockett, it was steve derringer and myself and we're sitting there and um what i was surprised with everybody had very specific suggestions and ideas about what next steps would be so that that was um that was also a marker for me that this thing is this has legs and when i asked you about coming along it was as simple as it was as basic and punk rock in its attitude I have three flip cams. Can you pack them in your bag and set them up on some tripods in some kind of way? And we just kind of archive this thing. And it's kind of, it's punk rock and guerrilla kind of warfare in terms of how we capture um, images of this and, and then put that together in some fashion and share that with the world. And um, I had no idea that you would go to that next place. What made you... What was going on inside your head that said, okay, Dan, yes, actually no flip cams. I want to put a crew together and I want to rent, you know, a big van and put a crew together and come on tour with you and make a film. What, where did that, how did that happen for you?
Well, film has been one of those passions for me that has been kind of nagging for a long time, too. So I, I've been making films for about 10 or 15 years, mostly documentary films. I've been studying film. I've been studying writing for film. And I knew that in order to have something to call a movie at the end of this, unless you're just doing a straight concert film, which I don't know if that's what you had in mind or not, just filming the shows in each town, that's different than actually making a movie where there's a beginning and a middle and an end and, and stories and narrative. Right. And I think as I started to dive into the holiday of Sukkot, which is what really got the wheels spinning, because when you proposed this tour, I said, great, it's Sukkot. I know about Sukkot a little bit. Like, I think a lot of Jewish people and a lot of people just, yeah. they know the basics. Right. You, there's a sukkah. We build a sukkah. I'm not totally sure why, but we do it, and it's right. kind of funky. I know most of the people don't do it because it comes right after the Rosh and the Yom, and people are pretty much tired of, of all the, the ritual and the ceremony by that point. So the they sort of forget about hangover. it. hangover. Right, exactly. Um, and so I, I just didn't know that much. And so I started digging into the holiday of Sukkot. And as I did, my wheels just started spinning. And I realized that the story was built in uh -huh. to the holiday. That Sukkot tells the story of the human journey from slavery to freedom. And it, it tells, it's actually one big chapter of the story. It, the first chapter is actually getting out of Egypt. Yeah. But what Sukkot says is that, you know, getting free from slavery was tough, but it wasn't as tough as getting the Egypt out of the slave. In other words, you're not just, just once you cross the Red Sea, it's not over. You, and you don't, you get to dance for a minute. You get to sing for a minute. You get to celebrate your freedom. And then you say, oh man, what's next? Because the, the reality of it is, is for generations in slavery, we were degraded, broken, fractured people. And we needed to rebuild in order for us to survive and still be here today, thousands of years later. So Sukkot is that story of the time in the desert that the Jews spent wandering, trying to figure themselves out and figure out their path forward and figure out a way to make it to the promised land. And so, the, so Sukkot is that setting up, tearing down, setting up, yeah. tearing down, building and building these temporary structures that are fragile and, and, and really just symbolize the fragility of life. So I saw that story and then I was thinking, well, gosh, we're, we're really doing that. We're going to set up and tear down. We're going to go from town to town every, and we're going to be living, we're going to be out on the road living Sukkot. And so the story was just sort of taking shape. The more I learned and the more I thought about it. And I think at that point is when I came to you and I was in North Carolina for some other work and I had started to sort of share with you what I was thinking and my vision for how this thing was taking shape. Do you remember you remember that? Shabbos? Yeah. Shabbos at your house? Yeah, around the kitchen table. So what were your thoughts at that point when it's like, oh boy, what what what's going on now? I was scared because I the 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 initial intention of the 
tour was to have a chance to have a musical conversation with Mark and Nathan, which I rarely do um, in any extended kind of way. The nature of my work with Mark and Nathan is I live in Raleigh, Mark and Nathan are in Nashville. And so when we play a show, for example, a few weeks ago, we're in Lafayette, California at Temple Isaiah. I was already out there working in Northern California. Mark and Nathan flew out the night before. I saw them the night before. We had wings. We talked. We went to bed. Then the next morning we get up, we go to the temple. Our sound check is our rehearsal. Then we play the concert. I drive them to the airport in Oakland and say goodbye. So there's really, there's no time to develop a musical conversation where things are, where there's nuance and there's there's an extension of ideas where you play things over and over. One of the things I've loved with playing in other bands where we played regularly was that over the course of several shows, over the course of a week or of a month, you, that things take on their own life. And they're not so much that that conversation is not through words, but it's through the sounds that you make as a band. And I miss that because that is a way to grow as a musician as well. And I don't get a chance to do that. And when I play with Mark and Nathan, I'm, I'm a better musician for it every time. So purely and selfishly, the tour was, I want to play with them every night. When would be a good time to do that? Oh, how about Sukkot? That's seven nights in a row, eight nights. That could be, that could be great. And where would be a nice place to do that? Well, I'm, I live as a Jew in the South. I think the, the, the Jews in the South would get this idea of let's just hang out. Let's put up a sukkah. This whole, my vision from the beginning was just this Jack and Diane kind of vibe where it's little pink houses and lawn chairs and baked beans and roast some hot dogs and say the blessings and just be together and hang out in, um, in small relation, like intimately with each other um, around this holiday of Sukkot. But I had never envisioned what you were taking this to, which was let's use this tour as an educational tool. Let's use the film as a way to also uh, broadcast the themes that are so important and relevant that exist within Sukkot that so many Reformed Jews in our world miss. And and I think it's simply because it comes just right after Yom Kippur and everyone, those are the two big days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where Jews turn out in the Reform world and the progressive world to to temple, to have a communal experience. And then that doesn't really happen so much in Sukkot in our world. And then you say, you go for this bigger reach, and uh, I didn't even know that was possible. And I was humbled by that. I was also um, scared of it because I felt this thing getting bigger than I ever dreamed it was going to be. I thought it was really going to just be Mark and Nathan and I in an RV, lawn chairs, and flip cams, and that would be it. And now it's, it's becoming a bigger thing. And that spooked me because I'd never done anything like that before. And so that, I was, the risks, risks were plentiful. Well, I can relate to that. Uh, this was because this was the biggest project I, project I've ever un, undertaken. And, you know, I, I've been doing short films for many years on extremely low or no budget. So that was one thing that my, my fear started growing once, once we started crunching, you know, the budget and figuring out logistics and hiring crews and renting equipment and cars. But it, it let me jump in a, right there and interrupt you just to say, yeah. all the listeners, please, um, can people find Letter of Thanks online, or how how can people find out about your film Letter of Thanks, which won awards and is just so tremendous? Oh, thank you. Um, I I can give you a link to send out. Okay. It is it is online in its entirety, though. Good. You can also get to it through my website, which is D Major Films. It's all one word, D 
D-M-A-J-O-R-F-I-L-M-S dot com. Okay. There's uh, there's a link to it there, too. But um, thank you. Thank it might you be really sh- great for our listeners for to go there. Plug. Well, yeah. I want I want people to know about your work. And that might be a nice uh, preview to seeing Road to Eden, which is not widely available yet, to have a have our audience get to know who you are as a filmmaker, your style, your approach. Sorry to interrupt you. And and uh, one of the, the my company, by the way, is D Major Films. It's 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 the inspiration for the name is, of course, the a musical chord or note D D Major, mm-hmm. um, because music is so important in my life. But it's also, in my opinion, it's just integral to any film. You know, every film you're ever going to see, music should play an amazing part. So the the opportunity to do this film which i knew was going to be wall-to-wall music and that i was going to have the opportunity because when you when you make films and you know there are rights issues and you can use this and you can't use that right have this opportunity to just have your whole library of music and tell use that music to help tell the story of each town that we're in was so exciting to me but anyway, what was I saying? I, I totally digress. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I started to get a little bit concerned because this was blowing out of control. Um, because when it became obvious that what the tools that I needed to tell this story right, you know, I needed them. I needed a lot of them. But at a certain point, it didn't matter. It was just a mission. Uh-huh. There was, there was, I don't know if it was this, you crossed a point of no return or if there was some inner force driving me or this... I don't want to let Dan down. I don't know what it is, but I was, this was happening. There was, there were a lot of points when I was like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? (laughs) Whoa, Nellie. To yourself, to yourself. To myself, Uh to myself. Um, And, uh, but those voices went away fast and this was just, it was, I don't know what you call it, a labor of love, a passion. It, It just had to happen. And so we did it. And, you know, we, we didn't have everything we needed, but that's the reality when you're making movies. You, you, you know, uh, you, you go with what you got and you, and you, you, make, you make the best of it. And yeah. I think we, I think it turned, I mean, I, I don't think, I know it turned out great. I'm, I'm so immensely proud of the movie that we made together. Uh, I, I, I was proud of it before a single soul saw it. But to have it go out in the world and have the reception that it's had in film festivals, in uh, youth group events, uh, biennial, uh, congregations, you know, you name it. It's people have been really deeply touched by it and not just Jewish people, just people. And that was a major, major goal of ours, I think, was to tell this that this holiday of Sukkot. And the Jewish tradition as a whole has a message for all of humankind. It's not just for, for the Jewish people. And we're telling that story. And that's pretty cool. It is cool. And I didn't know how, how any audience would receive it, but I would have been surprised, delightfully so, at how the 20-something audience has received this movie in a way that I could have only dreamed of. Um, it's very consistent that that, that demographic is seeing this movie and then coming to me with tears in their eyes and with a, a quiet kind of a resolution that they've been um, and recognition that they've been touched and moved by the themes that are brought up in the film and how they've been able to see Sukkot 
in a way than they didn't even know existed before. And that doesn't, that isn't just for 20 somethings, but I, I'm delighted that that's the case. That makes me feel so good. Because that's that's a demographic that much of the Jewish world in North America is trying to, if you will, this is a little crude way of putting it, but get get a hold of. You know, uh, congregations around the country are trying to find ways to bring twenty somethings into their temples, and I'm I'm delighted that um, th- that this film and this story grabbed their attention. And it's I don't think it's because of the Dan Nichols and eighteen. Piece. I think it's because of the narrative that you created, that you've built, that well, that you framed, that happened really for us on the tour. Well, I think it's all of the above because I think when you put music in a film, it deepens the emotional resonance, the emotional connection to the story, and your music does that on its own. So then you you lay it out over or under these stories that we were telling in each town, and it was. I mean, I I just think it was a home run. And I I still look back on some of these. uh, I mean, I see the movie over and over again. Whenever it screens, I have to watch it. And I still, and it's funny because I I get emotional at certain points. But a lot of times it's just different points. And each time I watch it, that brings up a lot of emotion. Sure. In me. Yeah, me too. But I'm glad to hear you say that it's having an impact impact on the younger set because i really believe one of the missions of the film is to answer a really fundamental question that a lot of us struggle with as jews and it's why why do this Mm -hmm. you know why be jewish yep and i think by telling the story of the jewish people in this movie and sort of the jewish project to move the world down the road towards this notion of Eden, this notion of a world perfected, that the, this purpose and meaning behind our tradition really is a shot in the arm. It, it, for a lot of folks, it, it's like, oh, this is, this, is what, this is what this is all about. Okay, I get it, and I'm, I'm all in. And I, for some reason, I never got that when I was going to Hebrew school or Sunday school Camp gave me the Jewish identity and the connection to Judaism and the Jewish people, and I thought it was wonderful and I loved it, but I don't think I knew why. It was just a feeling. It was just a connection that I had to the place and to the people and to the things that we were doing and sharing together. But this, this, is, this, is, something, this is something more. Is that you or me? <laughs> I think that is my dog Zippy out in the backyard okay. screaming at a bird of okay. some kind. My my dog Zippy's very excitable. So is Maisie. Right. Is Maisie a girl? Maybe we could get, yeah. get our dogs, you know. Yes, Maisie's a girl. She is an Australian poodle, like Australian shepherd poodle, like an Aussie doodle. What kind of So if if we put Maisie together with uh Zippy, what kind of dog what's what's Zippy? Well, we're not 100% sure. I've been doing a lot of research on the subject, and um, I have come to the conclusion that Zippy is most likely a Sinaloan poon hound. Sinaloan poon hound. <laughs> okay, I made it up. Okay, I, that's good. I, I will, my homework is to blend the, those breeds, and what do we get? 
I don't. I'm afraid of my own inappropriate abilities, so I'm going to back away from that. Step away. Let's step away from that. <laughs> Let's step away from that and take a little bit of a break. Here, we're going to play a, a cut from the uh, Road to Eden soundtrack. Over the course of the last year, I put out, made, and recorded a, a soundtrack called the Road to Eden soundtrack. That's why it's called a soundtrack. It's two discs. The first disc are 10 or 11 songs live from the road during the tour 2011, and the other 10 songs are studio cuts that we made during the making of the film. So let's go and listen to one of those, and we'll be back in a minute. Grab a sandwich. struggling to sing with angels who hint at it in black words printed on old paper, gold-edged by time. Tell them I wrestle the mirror every morning. Tell them I sit here, invisible in space, nose running, coffee cold and bitter. Tell them I tell them everything. Everything is never enough. Tell them I'm davening and voices rise up from within to startle children. Tell them I walk off into the woods to sing. Tell them I sing loudest next to waterfalls. Tell them the books get fewer, words go deeper. Some take months to get through. Tell them there are moments when it's all perfect. Above and below, it's perfect. Even in moments in between where sparks in space, terrible, beautiful sparks in space, are merely metaphors for the void between one pore and another. goodness. Welcome back to the Camp Danny Show. I'm your host, Dan Nichols. Today's show is the Road to Eden Radio Hour, and our special guest is the f- director of the film Road to Eden. The director's name, Doug Passan. Doug and I grew up at Golden Union Camp years ago as counselors, and, and then we became friends through music and playing music together. Really, that, really, Doug, that, you know, it's the music that connects us, and it's that musical conversation that bound our friendship. And that, that's what I talk about when I talk about a musical conversation that you can have that doesn't necessarily involve words, but that can um, bring people together and build relationships. That is something that is true for us, 
and it's definitely true for my band and it's why I wanted to um, you know record our shows every night on tour and share that conversation we don't have a ba- we don't have a bass player in our band I play baritone guitar which is kind of like a guitar made sweet love with a, a bass and then this was their illegitimate love child the baritone guitar and that I, that plays that serves the purpose of rhythm but it also has some some bass notes in it and then Nathan plays electric guitar or acoustic guitar and Mark plays drums and that's our that's our trio and one of the goals and the mission of our group is to find out how to do more with less. And sometimes it works really well. Other times we find ourselves longing for a bass player. But all in all, the sound is full. And um, I'm proud of that. I feel good about that. I wanted to share that. So the first, you know, the first disc on the soundtrack is all live cuts that um, have not been sweetened. We did not go back into the studio and fix tracks or add things. So when you're listening to what when you're listening to the tracks on the the live album uh, disc one on the soundtrack, you're listening to the to the band as we did it. And um, could it have been better? There, I can always want to do things better. We all do, but I feel good about it. I feel really good about it. I feel proud about it. And and um, that's that. And I, I would say that uh, this is why I feel affirmed in playing all those shows. We played eleven shows in ten days. And the idea was just to pack them in so that we could build that musical conversation, which I think we definitely did. In retrospect, I would I will not book eleven shows in ten days again if it's up to me. I won't do it. That that almost broke me. But um, it certainly was good to play every night. I I know I enjoyed it. I mean, I was the set list did not vary from too much. It did a little bit. From show to show, and so I was hearing these songs over and over again, and I was loving every minute of it, every note of it, every time. I was having so much fun. In fact, some of the some when I was going through and doing some of the editing, because I I was jack of all trades. I was working camera. I was doing a lot of stuff on set. We had three awesome crew members: myself, uh, Ali Sacedo, who also was ended up jamming with the band a lot. Great percussionist. Kruger. Yeah. So, um, but but I I was watching <laughs> I was watching footage that I shot. Because a lot of times I would get up on stage and get close to you. Yeah. I think I I sort of felt more comfortable doing that than the other guys because we're pals. But I I was like, darn it, Doug, the camera was swaying because I was like <laughs> kind of dancing while I was filming. <laughs> and, the, and I was like, can't you just sit still for two seconds? But it was your fault because I was into the music every time. Thank you. Oh, that was a lot of fun for me going through and culling through all that. But we had over 100 hours of footage between concerts, interviews, you know, road footage, you name it. And because I got to relive those moments over and over and over again. And it just never got old. Thank you so much. That's cool. Uh Oh, Oh, let's take a caller. Line one is open. Uh, Go ahead, caller. You're live on the Camp Danny Show. Hi, I was just uh, wanted to call in. Uh, really enjoyed the, the film. Thanks. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, uh, how long did it take? Uh, oh, oh, I'm still calling. <laughs> Sorry, I was just wondering, how long did it take? It's okay. Everyone's nervous the first time they're on the Camp Danny Show. Go ahead, caller. No, no, I was just wondering, how long did it take uh, to, do, to do the whole tour? 
your collar sounds very nasal. We need to maybe prescribe something, maybe a nice little neti pot to wash him out. Did you see what I posted on Facebook last night? A little, no. little, little no. Uh, photo montage. I was at the Whole Foods getting some probiotic vitamins, and um, I was shocked. I made a turn, and then there is the, the, the stand for all of the uh, nasal wash toolage. And uh, there's a picture. Well, you go to my Facebook page and uh, Facebook forward slash Dan Nichols and 18, and you'll see uh, there's a little boy standing there smiling as saline solutions draining out of his right nostril. And then right next to that's another box, and it's a, a little girl, and she's smiling into the camera as as saline solutions draining out of her left nostril. And then there's a picture of a, there's a third box and it's a woman, full grown woman, attractive lady that's smiling full on like, ah, and (laughs) she's got full flowage with the nasal wash coming out of her nose and she's smiling at the camera as well. And it was just incredibly strange. I popped three pictures and put on Facebook. So if there's, that's, that's social media and the power of it. Well, um, caller, we're glad I did not you came mean on. to diss the caller, and please, I'm so sorry, caller, that I that I was making fun of your nasally voice. I'm pretty sure the caller oh. left. Oh, all right. We um, offended someone else again. Yeah, it's the nature of the show. Um, let's get back to it. Um, the tour to answer the caller's question: the tour is a couple of days in pre-production in Nashville, and then eleven days, twelve days on the road, or something like that. It was intense. It was crazy. We did it. We'll do it again. Better. It was crazy, but it felt like camp. It really did. Without a doubt. I, was that because of the intensity of the touring of 11 shows in 10 days? Was that a major factor? Was it Was it that um, we had about 10 people in our crew that were bouncing around and that just what's happened? That's what's just what happens when you put a bunch of people together over a chunk of time was it that it was Sukkot was it that it was you know a Jewish tour I don't don't really know but our driver Richard Muckamal kept commenting night after night this is camp we're do this is camp we're doing camp we're taking camp out into the world we're putting it on the road and that's what people are experiencing that's what i'm experiencing and every night he would say dan you need to realize we are doing camp on the road out in the world yep we were we were bringing camp to these communities but we were living camp and i think all of the above that you said was why it felt like that i mean camp is exhausting you because camp the be- here's the beauty of camp it ends <laughs> You well no I'm serious you know you have a very uh-huh. limited amount of time uh-huh. to yeah. be with these people mm-hmm. and you like being with these people uh-huh. you love being with these people okay. in that place and time yep. but you know it's over yeah it's maybe it's 4 weeks or 8 weeks but it's going to end and it's going to end a lot more quickly than you ever want it to right and so you're in this mindset that I'm going to live in the moment and to the max yeah and I'm not going to be petty with these people because I'm not going to waste time with that. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, just treat them like family and we're going to have an amazing time and we're going to burn the candle at both ends and we're going to be so tired we can barely walk when it's through and we're going to be happy and we're going to be exhausted and we're going to feel like we did something. So that was camp. Yes. And I haven't, you get to go to camp every summer, a lot of camps. That's true. I haven't been back to camp in way too long. So for me to be 
back in that sort of mental camp space yeah. was another huge, huge gift. So when you talk about it, this idea about you feeling you were on, had a, on tour, that you were at camp, and you found that inspiring, here's a question that I want to ask you. In your life right now, what's, um, what's inspiring you? What's lifting you? What's making you go, oh, yeah, this is so great? I, I'd have to say in my Jewish life, what's been inspiring me is another podcast. I, I hate to, you know, plug another podcast when I'm on Camp Danny show, but uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs does a podcast. He was like the chief rabbi for England, and he's just an amazing, amazing rabbi, really inspirational. And he puts his you know, weekly parshot on there or appearances that he does. Sometimes they're just small, a few minutes, and sometimes they're an hour. And what is really amazing about him is he does what we were kind of trying to do with, with the film, which is to give people another way to look at this project we call Judaism. And one of the things that's been resonating with me is he talks so much about how we are people of dreamers. And he talks, he talks a lot of text, but in a way that's very relatable and talk, talking about all the, the, the parts of the Tanakh where dreams have played such a significant part of that part of the story. Yeah. And just this idea that we are always dreaming of something better and those dreams motivate us to put, put that into practice. And so this idea of focusing on something, dreaming about it and making it happen is so deeply ingrained in our tradition from the, from the you know, moment we were born as a people that uh, I think that's what's inspiring me a lot. I've been thinking a lot about dreams. I've been paying a lot more attention to my dreams, both, both waking and sleeping dreams. And I felt more of a, a passion, a fuel to to do something, to put them into practice. So Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, I think, is what has inspired me most these days. Well, that's fantastic. And that gives me a chance to then return that, bring that question back around. And I didn't anticipate that answer, but this is what's making me think about. Um, when So much of what the tour was and making the film, from if I've heard you correctly, was about dreaming, um, dreaming what could be, and kind of dreaming big, and claiming, going for something that we had both never gone for before. For me, it was, my dream was to play music every night with Mark and Nathan. And part of that dream as well, however silly it was, was to ride around in an RV. Since I was fourth in the fourth grade, I've wanted to travel the country in an RV, and I've never done that. So that was a frivolous, but part of my dream as well. And then your dream was are making films and we did this thing. It's now done, and it's in its. It, it's now final. It's released to the world. It's been shown at film festivals all around the country, and it's going to be shown just next week at Havanashira, a song leading, a Jewish song leading institute, um, in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, at the Olin Sang Ruby Union Institute for about 250 people who are the most gung-ho and excited and passionate, committed to leading uh, groups in prayer and in song together. And um, the film's going to be shown there. And that's going to be incredible. I'm so excited about that. I am too. Because talk about an audience that wants to get it. That's a group of people that want 
want to want to know what's what this was all about or invested before before we even you know get to the first frame and my question is there's dreaming and then there's the doing and then when you're left and it's over my question for you is not just go with me here not is that zippy bad zippy okay hi zippy I, I don't know exactly what the question is. I'm trying to get it. We had dreams. We did what we did. It was archived in the film. It's been archived in the soundtrack. Those now are released out into the world. And now you and I get a chance to look back at it time and time and listen back to it over and over and over again. How do you, can we talk a little bit about how once the dream is, if you will, over or realized or not realized, how do you move on? Because for me, the tour, as incredible as it was, it also brought up tremendous amounts of shortcomings in my own abilities. I met with professional, what for me felt like professional failure every day. And I took that really hard because I'm, I'm a deep, you know, in quotes, I'm a deep feeler. You know, I struggle right on that, that edge of being depressed and anxious regularly. It's just my own struggle in my life. And sometimes when I, often when I miss the mark or feel like I'm missing the mark, I take that really hard. And um, this, this tour, I, I was in a similar kind of place. And I look back on the experience and there's some sadness in it because I realized in watching the film and listening to some of the music and thinking about some of the stories, I, was, I felt like I was off the mark. Do you, do you feel like that at all in this tour? Do you feel like that ever in your life? And how do you, how do you make tomorrow okay? Like, just... I know that's kind of heavy, but that's part of what I want to do with the podcast Podcast as well, is be real and share with the world what I really deal with in my work, because I have faith that by framing that in a way that's intelligent and sincere, that that will be valuable to somebody else. And I have such respect and admiration for you. I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that, and then maybe I could learn from you. There's a quote that I don't know who said it, and I'm going to butcher it, but the, but it, the gist of it is life is not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how you get up. And, I mean, the reality of it is is we fail every single day. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. There are some people who fail, and they can't get over it, and they're paralyzed, and they can't get up, and they don't, they don't live. They don't move mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. There are some people who are so oblivious, so uncritical of their own self that they don't realize they're failing and they just go blissfully about their failures. Yeah. And it's okay for them because they don't know they're failing. It's like the people at the first part of American Idol who don't know they can't sing. Um, it's okay for them because they think everything's hunky-dory, but it's not okay for the rest of the world because usually they're messing stuff up, mm-hmm. either in a small way or a big way. Mm-hmm. And then there's that other class of people who are self-aware, self-critical. They understand that they're failing, but they use the failures as lessons. They get up, they do it all over again, but they do it better. And to me, that's the same story that we're telling about Road to Eden. You look at every generation. We are screwing up in unbelievably significant ways all over the world every day but if you focus on the the successes and not the failures you realize that we're doing a lot of stuff right 
also, right? I mean, you look at where this country is now versus where it was even 10 years ago in terms of human rights and civil rights and at least the talk of, of economic justice. You know, the action isn't quite there, but, the, but it's on the tip of everyone's tongue and tongues and the conversation is growing more and more intense every day. So the bottom line is we learn by our mistakes and the point of this whole endeavor is to grow from them and to, to reach this point where we're not making the same mistakes. We're going to make new mistakes and hopefully we're going to fix them, but that's just living. And if you're not sort of experiencing that and falling down and getting up and having your failures and then having your major, major triumphs, you're not living. So I look at this movie and I can, I can, you know, I've seen it a thousand times and there are things in the movie that I could focus on to say, oh God, you know, what was I thinking with that angle? Or I really wish I would have circled back on this, or I really wish I would have done that or this or didn't do that. And that's not, I mean, to a certain extent, that's healthy because just by virtue of making this film, my next movie will be better. There's no question because I learned it was like going to grad school for, for filmmaking, all yes. the lessons I learned. And so, you know, take the mistakes and learn from them. But if I'm going to watch that movie and just see the negative, I'm not going to make movies anymore because that's going to suck all the joy out of the art and this this beauty of creating something that I that you and I are both fueled by it's what we live our lives for so when I watch Road to Eden I focus on the moments that make me want to cry I focus mm -hmm. on the messages and the stories that we're telling I focus on my memories and the people that I met and the relationships that I built on there and I feel good about it every single time and I I just want to live my life like that I want to I want to live in a positive space and not be that guy who dwells on all the negative. I do too. I do too. I it's hard for me sometimes. I think it's easy for me to get down. And uh, well, you you put a lot out there too. I think the more you risk, like the more you put yourself out in the public space, the yep. more opportunities for failure. Yep. You, you know, yeah. I, 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 do, I feel that way. You know, I'm a lawyer by day and every time I walk out of court, I've been doing that 18 years. And every time I walk out of court, I have this loop playing in my head. Like, did I really say that? Did I just sound like a freaking idiot? Yeah. You know, yeah. like I'm all, you're always, it's uh -huh. just, it's just comes with the territory. But that's, but that's the beauty too, because that's where you find your greatest, it's where you find your greatest joy, right? Being, connecting with people, being out there in the world. And again, going back to Sukkot, isn't that the very essence of why we do Sukkot? We're in our homes all the time, sheltered from life. Yep. And Sukkot says, get up, get out, and take a chance, take a risk. You know, live in this, this fragile little structure that could be blown away in an instant. You could get hurt. You could get killed. You're out in the desert. You're wandering. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but get up and just do it, man. That's a great segue. For this question about what's next now the film's out it's rolling around the country to jewish film festivals and soon people will be able to bring it into their their congregations it looks like this coming sukkot of um uh what 2014 this um this coming october you and i are going to bounce around the country it looks like we're going to be in la for a couple of nights it looks like we're going to be in tulsa oklahoma maybe austin texas Maybe um, Cincinnati, Ohio. 
uh, we're going to bounce. We're trying to fill out the whole tour, I guess, a different town every night. It's just going to be you and I showing the film and singing in a sukkah. That's the next step, but which is fine. I'm looking forward to that. Let's go to next step. Let's go to Sukkot of 2015. Let's dream a little bit online. Well, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but what are you dreaming of for 2015? If you were the king of the forest, if you could, what's, <laughs> what do you want to do with the tour next? You've said some things to me that seem like big ideas. Uh, what do I want to do with the tour? So we're just talking Road to Eden Dreams right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. My, you know, it's interesting because I thought making the movie was the hard part, but it's like you give birth at that point to this baby and then you've got to raise the baby and yes. and get get the baby out into the world. And so that's been that's been a great challenge too. So my immediate dream is to just get as many people as I can to see Roti, Jewish, non-Jewish, Christian, whatever, you know, it's, I just want this movie and these messages out into the world. So it's happening and that's amazing. The other incredible, unbelievable thing that, that happened was when we showed this movie at the URJ Biennial in San Diego, which was, um, was it March of this year, maybe? Or December of this December. year. In San and Diego. In San Diego. And there was a group of about 200 people that came to a breakout session and watched Road to Eden. You were there and I was there. And what a great, what a great time that was. What a great response the film received. And one of the folks was so moved by the film, she went back to her congregation, University Synagogue in L.A. I hope I got that right. Yep. Talked to their... Jewish educator there who runs the religious school, Jessica Downey, yes. and said, I think this movie would make a great curriculum, a base for a curriculum for religious school kids. And she watched the movie and she loved the movie and she dove in with both feet. And together we crafted a curriculum for an entire year of seventh wow. grade class with your help, with my help. And she did really did the heavy lifting in terms of breaking down every session and what mm -hmm. it would look like. And so it's, it incorporates the film, the teachings of the film, Takuno Lam projects, um, trip camp excursions, like you name it. It's a total experiential thing. It looks like something completely out of the box, religious programming for these seventh grade kids, which I think is desperately needed in our, in our world shot in the arm. So I'm, my dream is that, that that is a seed that is planted for something that grows. And that Road to Eden is a, a tool for teaching young people all over the world, all over our country and our religious institutions about Judaism and the, the whole Jewish project. So I think that would be the most gratifying thing uh, for Road to Eden. You know, film festivals are cool. It's really neat to be in a theater and to be the center of attention and to wear a cool little film festival badge and see you. That's been so much fun. But, you know, that's that's a one-off. It's what people take away from those and wh where this grows from there That's that where I think the real work is happening. So that's one of the reasons I'm so excited that Road to Eden's going to be at Havana Shira next week. Because like you said, these are, these are folks that have their finger on the pulse of Jewish life and Jewish education. So 
Absolutely. I can't wait to see where that where that goes. You know, I love this idea that that it's that the film could serve a purpose to inspire someone to write curriculum. That's fantastic, and that that I didn't even consider that as an option. And you know what I keep dreaming about is the next Sukkot, uh, not this one coming because you and I are going to show the film around, but the one after that, which is um, how to make how to shine a how to make Sukkot a program and help communities if they're interested, get over the, the hump of the high holiday hangover and do things programmatically with communities that, that shine a light on the themes that exist within Sukkot and shine a light on the similarities thematically that exist within the, the, the American idea at its core and how those ideals and values are um, so intrinsic to what Sukkot is all about. And I think it's an incredible opportunity for American Jews and for Americans, period, who maybe don't know about the um, Jewish story and the uh, American Jewish story to learn and share and find that um, unity and that overlap. And I keep dreaming about you know, we've used all kinds of words. You've used it the, the past caravan, but um, a tour um, where we, we go from city to city and we have maybe 50 people with us who are um, like-minded. They are people that want to do community service during the day and go into a community where people really are in real serious need and want our help. Now, we're not, we're just, we're not in imposing ourselves on them so that we can feel good about ourselves. Hey, we look, we cleaned up a park today. If that's not, that's not really what's needed in that community. But what if we're talking about Sukkot as a time when we live in these temporary structures and we're supposed to remember the fragility of life and that it's so ephemeral, it doesn't last, and we've got to remember that. God willing, a week ago we were written in the book of life during Yom Kippur, and now weeks or so later we're back out into the world remembering that it's all so temporary and fragile and holy. And that what if what if this tour, there were like 50 of us in buses, cars, whatever, and we were camping out every night, and we're building a sukkah, every, whatever, whatever community we were in, and we're all camping out. And during the day, we went into a community and we built homes for people, homes that were more permanent, that were mm-hmm. lasting, that did yeah. give someone in need a place to be tomorrow and the next day. And then in the nighttime... We all come back together and all of us, the people that we've served and the folks that are on this tour, and we sit down around a campfire, make some food, eat, say some prayers, say blessings and thanks to the Holy One for giving us this opportunity, tell some Jewish stories from our history, maybe have a great storyteller or two that's there telling the Jewish story that that goes back centuries, and then have people from this, this experience from the day, tell their own story about what happened. Because inevitably, we learned this from the last tour from Road to Eden. You get out into the world, stuff happens. And you get yeah. rocked in the very powerful real way. That's going to happen again. And have that all um, framed or punctuated with singing. Singing together. And making camp every night. And it's not about... This is how the tour would be different. It's it's not about a rock and roll Sukkot in terms of Dan and Nathan and Mark playing shows. It's about us doing something for the world, 
that is real and lasting in service and in the night telling each other that story and remembering the Jewish story from centuries earlier and then picking up and doing it again the next day and doing it again the next day. I believe with everything I have, an experience like that, I crave it. I crave it for so many reasons. First off, you and I have discovered that a lot of us are missing the boat on Sukkot. It just goes right by. Why are we doing this? We don't even know. The idea of programmatically exploding it out and trying something where we could, um, in, in a go with me here, we could play with, like in the sense of discovery play, we could um, play with this idea of what, what does um, impermanence mean? And what does it mean to live in your home? What does it mean to not have a home? What does it mean to be on the road to finding something greater, something, a better way of life? What does it mean to interact with those who may not have the same blessings that you have? And where do you find the, the um, connection with another human being? Seems yep. to me to be rich. And I don't know anybody that's doing that. If somebody is, great. I'd love to find out where's that Jewish organization that is the Jewish habitat for humanity in North America. Let's mm-hmm. partner with them. Let's find out who they are. Let's partner and build this tour together. Put 50 people together at least. I, I mean, I, you've said the word caravan before. But where we have a, a story where we know we have a defined beginning and an end and we have an arc and we're going out into the world and, um, and doing real good for people that really need it. I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I love that idea. I would, that is the dream. And the dream is that it grows with every passing year. I, I'm, and my ultimate dream is that the emphasis on the high holidays is sort of t- is goes is de-emphasized, and and the real the real coming out is Sukkot. I mean, I'm not saying wow. forget the high holidays, but I feel That's like almost blasphemy. I know, but gosh, this the problem. This going back to this idea of why be Jewish? Yeah. It's for for young people, for me, for a lot of people, it's just an obligation. It's just something we're supposed to do because our parents said that's what we do. And that's not a really good way to motivate people. And for high holidays, at least for me, Mm -hmm. you go to those services because you're obligated. And a lot of people, that's the only time they ever go the whole year. That's their whole connection to Judaism. And it's a very kind of dark. I mean, Rosh, Rosh Hashanah is supposed to be a celebration. I don't know. It doesn't feel like that much of a party to me. Maybe it's because I'm not that big on apples. But um, Yom Kippur is a freaking dark holiday, man. Yeah, It's it's like the reenactment of death, so, yeah. so say the rabbis. Mm-hmm. And while I see the... Ve- Zippy's still going crazy. You probably hear the gardeners out and they see, I don't do gardening. I I pay people for that. Um, <laughs> and so you, must, you hear a lawnmower out there. I do. But... Uh, the point is, is it, it's a, it's sort of a somber, dark time, and people do it out of a sense of obligation or commitment, but they're not really sure why they're doing it. They're just mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a recipe for disaster for our Jewish future. And so if, if you can really take a holiday like Sukkot that is so rich with meaning and so uplifting and so fun, so much opportunity for just hanging out and celebrating and eating and drinking and yeah. playing music and dancing and whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think it could be, it could be really transformative for 
Judaism as a whole. Maybe I'm just a dreamer. Well, if it, you, I'm going to hold you, hold your feet to the fire. You said earlier that this dreaming is essential um, to the person you want to be and what you think humanity is all about. And so I would agree with you. And um, I'm interested in doing that. And if those listening are interested in this idea and want to help us organize this tour and get get on board on this caravan and come out and help us connect, help us find that Jewish organization that I got to believe exists, that is the Jewish Habitat for Humanity, let get let's start talking. Let's find communities that really are in need and want our help. The last thing I want is to impose ourselves on a community that's not really wanting it. That's yeah. that's not the the idea here. So you know, my worry, my fear is that we put together this caravan and it, we do this thing, and it's really just for us to feel good about us. Gee whiz, aren't we good? We're doing good things for the world. Pat ourselves on the back and then go on. That's that's not what I'm talking about. I, so I, I'm interested in in building partnerships with people that are really in need, and and I also think about. Alan Goodis, who's a Jewish musician and educator in Chicago, Illinois, who is also another alumni from Goldman Union Camp Institute, shared with him, I shared with him this idea, and his, he said yes, and his challenge was maybe instead of bouncing around from community to community, what if you, what if you camped out for seven days in one place? What, how would that impact the nature or the depth of the work that you could do for the, the community that is in need if you were there for a longer period of time? And that's something to think about as well. But if those of you out there listening are interested in this idea and you don't think it's too crazy or that you do, uh, I want to hear from you. Please uh, email me at dan at jewishrock.com. Uh, Doug, people can find out about the film at roadtoedenfilm.com. Yep, that's a great way to, way to reach out to you and continue the conversation. If you guys are interested in bringing the film to your community, please reach out to Doug. At uh, do you like that? Is that the email address that you want? Uh, yeah, there's a contact page on roadteenfilm dot com, or um, you know, we also have a Facebook page, uh, which is just Road to Eden, all one word. If you go to Facebook and type in Road to Eden, you can see. Um, a lot. We've been sort of chronicling the journey all the way back from when we took the tour to where the film has gone out into the world. There's video clips. There's a lot of neat stuff up on there. So please like us. I want my goal is to get to a million likes on that page, and I'm getting close. I think I'm up to about 300 and something. Perfect. So you're, uh, all, you're yeah. knocking on the door. Can I ask you some? Do a little. Uh, can I? Can I turn the tables on you for a moment? Grip it and, and rip it. I want to talk about the Road to Eden soundtrack a little bit. Oh, um, thank you. Because I haven't heard it yet. I'm excited. I mean, I've I've heard everything that's on it, but I haven't sat down and listened to it start to finish. But sure. I'm kind of curious to know um, now that it's out in the world. Are there what What are you most proud of about the disc, or what songs stand out to you that just that you just love and that you can't get enough of? Like, what's moving you about that? about the the disc it's a double it's a double disc right it's a double cd yeah it's two discs the first disc are all on the road tracks 11 11 songs from the from the tour and they're just straight up live cuts i feel good about them great range of 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 kinds of songs as well i mean like the song pure which we recorded um it's an album the song pure we recorded on the album um to the mountains but 
from everything from that to uh, we do a cover of uh, of um, Curtis Mayfield's song "People Get Ready" and we blend that together with the Nana song, and it felt really good. That really kind of bubbled right to the top during the tour. And there are a couple of different ways that it that I did it solo in a coffee shop setting, and then also with the band. So that that's cool. But disc disc two was a lot of fun because it was me exploring a kind of a different approach in the studio that I'd never done before. So it's uh, like eleven songs, and like I recut the song Mayim, but I, I dropped the key, I slowed it down a little bit, I added a new descant, and um, I made it a little bit more like if if the Avid Brothers were going to record the song Mayim, I think this is how they would make it sound. So that was fun to work on that. And then I spent some time with some of the liturgy that exists within the holiday of Sukkot. At least that's how it's broadcast to me through Mishkan Tefillah, the uh, reform movement's um, Sidur. And um, I used, I played a little bit with Spoken Word, um, a David Meltzer poem that uh, I call Amen. But it's the, that's the poem, tell them, tell them that I'm struggling to sing with angels who hint at it in black words. You know, on old paper, gold-edged by time. I just love that poem, this idea that being engaged in prayer is hard sometimes, that it's not easy, it doesn't come easily, and that resonates for me. So that was fun to experiment with some spoken word stuff. And then just some nigunim, just some texture, some color. Um, it was just a really fun process. And also another thing that was incredible about it, to get a chance to record your song, No Tomorrow, which is on uh, disc two in the studio, which is just an incredible tune. And to get a chance to work on that and get to know it in that way was was fun. And I made a decision specifically on that one not to do lots of overdubs on it. It's just me and an acoustic guitar singing it down. I had played around with the idea of overdubbing, all, you know, working out the arrangement and making it bigger. And with that one specifically, I thought, let's pare it down. Let's strip it down. I just felt like it was... Um, going to stand up and be heard better that way. So that was that was gratifying. And then you reminded me of a tune that I had forgotten, forgotten about that I wrote, I don't know, 20 years ago. A song that I wrote with a band that I played with in college. The band was called The Olskis. And the, this band was a very, very special group of guys. I learned how to play with other people in that band and how to find the oneness in the many. And we wrote a song probably 20 years ago at least, called 9133 West 82nd Street, which is a song about me taking my girlfriend back to the house where I was born and raised, and what would I want to say to her? And and I forgot all about that song. And then you mentioned to me, Doug, somewhere in the process of this whole thing, maybe in you telling the story in the film about you know where I came from and putting those excerpts in the film about my family growing up in Indianapolis, maybe it came up, hey, what about this song, 9133? And I got a chance to pull that out of the cupboard and dust it off and then, you know, recut it on this album. And that was, for me, probably the most gratifying, satisfying recording process or, yeah, moment for the whole album was that song. So I think people are going to go nuts when they hear when they hear that song. Do you do that live ever? Just starting, starting to now, to? just starting to in coffee houses. And uh, it's working. That feels good. You play coffee houses around town? No. When I go, when I travel every weekend and I do like an artisan residency at a temple, I might do services on Friday night, Saturday morning, maybe some song leading teaching Saturday afternoon. And then Saturday night's kind of up in the air, whether it's a band concert, solo concert, or a coffee house or a house concert. 
So depending on the group, uh, and recently I was in Cincinnati at the Valley Temple, and uh, someone asked me to sing that song, and I did, and it worked out great. Yeah, people are going to love that. It's one of my all-time faves. And I also throw in a cover of uh, the Susan Werner song, May I Suggest, which for years people have been asking me for a recorded version of The Way I Do It, which is just basically stripped down acoustic guitar and vocal. And uh, we put it on this album as well. It's the last track on the album. So I feel good about that. Nice, nice, nice. And by the way, No Tomorrow was inspired by Lawrence, a man that we met, a homeless man that we met in Pensacola. Oh, on the first night of the tour. On the first night of the tour, which is what motivated me to, to write the song, he, uh, he was telling, you were breaking down your equipment at the end of the night, and he was hanging out with us, and we were having fun with him, and he was telling the story about how he went to Washington, D.C. once. That's right. And, and I guess it was springtime. He said, all the, he said all the cherry blossoms were blooming, but the fountains were frozen, and your eyes got really big, and you said, Lawrence. That's a song. That's the that's the greatest song lyric ever. You need to write that song. And Lawrence looked at you and he goes, "You inspire me." And uh, yeah, so I was inspired too. So well, it was it was the home, way he said it. You know, yeah, he was he was worked himself up by this point, and he went, "All oh, the cherry blossoms were in bloom, but the fountains were frozen." <laughs> oh my! Yep. I mean, the, do you hear the rhythm in that? Like, yes, it's so musical. And it and yeah. the the contrast of the idea is so intense. Wow, Lawrence Lawrence was the the one man welcoming committee. He was there when we all pulled in, and he was under the sukkah, uh, and he was he was just awesome. He was the I guess an angel to me that that was it was our first night first stop on the tour in Pensacola, and there's Lawrence, and he looking back on it for me he was an angel sent to 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 tell me this is not the tour that you thought it was going to be. Pay attention. This is not what you thought it was going to be. And people like Lawrence are, are the things that are going to change your life and change what this tour is supposed to be for you. Pay attention, you know, to learn, you know, to go to the rabbi, rabbi. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. I think it was Rabbi Shapiro. Yeah. Yeah, to go to Rabbi Shapiro and say, look, every temple should be so lucky as to have uh, a Lawrence welcoming committee at their temple. You're really lucky to have Lawrence. And then for ha to have Rabbi Shapiro to pull me aside and say, listen, let me tell you a little bit about Lawrence. Lawrence is homeless, and he sleeps in the playground under the temple. That set, that set it all into motion for me. I, can't, I never forget about that guy. Well, I got to tell you, you know, back to the tour, when you said this was not the tour you thought it was going to be, um, that sort of happened to, to us in every, in every stop. I mean, I had an idea for what I wanted the film to be, but when you make documentaries, you're not writing a script. You're just turning on your camera and you're hoping that something interesting, you know, a story presents itself. And it just over and over and over again, it did. So that's, you know, for those of you who don't know the movie and haven't seen the movie, it's stories. You know, in every town, a story presented itself, but they were, when we were exploring this idea of looking at the world through Jewish eyes, 
I think you said looking at the world through a Jewish lens. Yeah. Or the Jewish lens of Sukkot. Yeah. So taking all these ideas and of the symbolism of Sukkot and experiencing the world with all of that, you know, as the framework. And I couldn't believe the stories that were revealing themselves to us in every town. You know, the very next town we were in was Birmingham, Montgomery. It was, was it Montgomery? Oh, well, Dothan. We had the Dothan relocation project. We had the immigrants fleeing Alabama. Yeah, we were in Alabama for three nights. And while we were there, we, yeah, we were literally witness to folks, immigrants fleeing Alabama because they didn't feel safe there any longer. They had just that day put into effect like one of the harshest immigration laws in the country. And yeah, they were, they were literally fleeing the state in fear. And we saw these caravans of, of folks on the highway with lo, you know, trucks loaded up with all their, all their earthly possessions. And we asked, where are, they, where are you going? And they said, well, I guess we're going back to Guatemala. That's a hell of a road trip. Talk about a tour. You're in Alabama. You've come there because you think life's going to be better. And then that takes place. And you're like, well, let's just get in the car and go back to Guatemala. Yep. That, that's, dude, that's heavy. I'm just saying. Yeah. So this is one of those things where, you know, again, you know, I talked about this was just a mission for me that this Mm -hmm. had to happen. Yeah. Well, then the universe just opened up, and each time, when it revealed, when those stories revealed itself, it was, it was an affirmation of what we were doing. It was as if the universe was speaking to us and saying, "This is right," and these are the stories that you need to tell, mm-hmm. and this is important, and this is good. So go see the movie. We're going to be actually when we do um, when we do our Sukkot tour this year. We will hopefully have the movie out on DVD by that time. Great. So we'll, people will have more of an opportunity to see it. But uh, as you were saying, if you are interested in bringing the movie to your congregation or to a film festival or to your religious school or whatever, let me know. Yeah, be sure to check Doug out at roadtoedenfilm.com. You can find out lots of information about the making of the film. You can see... Uh, photographs and I think see some video uh, of the making of the film and uh, you can follow up with Doug and find out more about how to bring the film to your community maybe Doug can connect you with the um, with um, the folks out in um, Los Angeles at at, um, University Synagogue they're creating a curriculum for kids in religious school based on the film so excited to hear more about that Um, our guest today is Doug Passan director of the film Road to Eden And uh, the tour was designed to shine a light on the deeper meaning of the holiday of Sukkot, which expresses many of the Jewish tradition's most profound teachings about our connection to the earth, the fragility of existence, and the hope for redemption. Sukkot is about taking action and committing ourselves to realizing our dream of a world perfected. Sukkot says, we're all in this together, walking the road to Eden. Well, Doug, I am so glad to have been able to walk this road for all these years with you through camp and now through this journey. I look forward to a lot more. I wish you a ton of luck. Have an awesome week. 
Thanks for taking time on the Camp Danny Show and the Road to Eden Radio Hour. You are just the best. Mm, right back at you, baby. Love I love you, man. you, man. Love you, too. Have a wonderful day. Everybody, thanks again to Doug Passan. Take care. Give Rachel our best. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. This is the house I once knew. And this is what it means to me. The glint in my eye and the flicker in my mind. Intensify with time and recent history. The salt water lines my face The frustration that it holds Is in solution with the joy That is easily recalled Episode 7 of the Camp Danny Show The Road to Eden Radio Hour Brought to you by John Paul Farrell Ava Nichols Doug Passon and myself, Dan Nichols we're glad you took time with us today. You can find out plenty of news about Dan Nichols and 18 on jewishrock.com. Next week, we're at Havana Shira at Olin Sang Ruby Union Institute. Hope to see you guys there. Take good care. Have a great summer. See you next week. Be good. Be holy. You're worth it. <laughs>